0: and welcome to Atari Bites, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 61. Thanks for listening. Hello again, everybody. I hope you're surviving and thriving and playing lots of games. We're digging out of a little bit of a, I guess, a snowstorm. More of a steady 12-hour snow. little unusual, but not certainly uncommon for March, but sort of annoying when you're starting to look towards spring. Uh, I had to get up early before work this morning and shovel snow. Haven't had to do that for a while, which I guess I shouldn't complain about. So, wherever you are, I hope that the weather is treating you well. Unless you're somewhere warm and tropical and being pampered, in which case I totally resent you. Alright, so what's going on this week? Not a lot of news to report. An article did catch my eye. You'll remember that in episode 58, we did the game Tutankham. The article I read doesn't really have anything to do with Tutankham per se, but these archaeologists working in Cairo discovered an ancient statue buried in this big muddy field. Um, A joint German-Egyptian research team found an 8-meter, or 26-foot-tall, quartzite statue beneath the water level in a Cairo slum, they believe the statue depicts Ramses II. The team was working at what once was Heliopolis, one of the oldest cities in ancient Egypt and the cult center for the sun god. The pharaoh Ramses II, also known as Ramses the Great, was the third of the 19th dynasty of Egypt and ruled from 1279 to 1213 BCE. His successors called him the Great Ancestor. They found the bust of the statue and the lower part of the head, and they managed to get the head out and found the crown and the right ear and a fragment of the right eye. They also found part of a life-size limestone statue of Ramses II's grandson, Pharaoh Seti II. Archaeologists are going to keep working on the site, seeing what else they can find. In the parts that they did find, there's no inscription that would let them determine what king it is. But because it was found in front of the gate of the temple of Pharaoh Ramses II, makes sense that it's probably him. Heliopolis once stood at the center of the ancient Egyptian sun cult, the core element of ancient Egyptian religion for more than three millennia. Today, the site is seriously threatened by new construction and rapidly rising water table. Eight meters of domestic and industrial waste, as well as building rubble, have been dumped on the site in the past four years. Added to this bleak scenario is the fact that the level of the water table on the site has risen alarmingly and continues to do so. The archaeological items in Heliopolis are submerged in one and a half to three feet of water. Breaking Bad fans... Might recognize this little bit of trivia. Ramses II was known to the Greeks as Ozymandias. Today that name is most familiar thanks to a sonnet on hubris and the implacable passage of time by romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley. The poem goes thusly I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip, and sneer of cold command, tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains, round the decay, of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. That poem is widely believed to have been inspired by a broken statue of Ramses II that is now, like many priceless Egyptian artifacts, in the possession of the British Museum. Once restored, and its identity confirmed, the statue may be placed at the entrance of the Grand Egyptian Museum, expected to open in Cairo in 2018. So yeah, it doesn't really relate to Tutankhamun, of course, but it's another e- ancient Egyptian pharaoh. I thought it was kind of interesting. In other news, there is no other news. So let's move right on to this week's game. This week's game is Space War, 1978 game from Atari. I knew I was in trouble when reading the manual confused me, because the manual is really complicated, even though it's not very long, and it's really boring, which did not bode well for the game itself. But here goes. Um, prop your eyelids open, and uh, let's do this. There's no preamble whatsoever. The manual starts out with, boom, here you go. Here's what you gotta do. Use your joystick controllers with this game program. Be sure the controllers are firmly connected to your video game system. See your owner's manual for details. Hold the controller with the red button into your upper left towards the television screen. I had to inject some life in there somewhere. Um, They give you a little diagram, very crude little, you know, uh, diagram showing the controller action. Thrust, move joystick up, hyperspace is down, left and right are obvious. Just like learning to drive a car, it takes a bit of practice to learn how to control your starship during space war and space shuttle games. The following exercises will help you gain proficiency in controlling your starship. Game 14, a space shuttle game, is an excellent practice field. Exercise one. After cycling to game 14, push the game reset button. Push the joystick to the left, your starship will rotate counterclockwise, or left. Push the joystick to the right and your starship will rotate clockwise to the right. Practice rotating your starship in both directions. Notice how the starship looks when it is in each position. Exercise 2. Push the game reset button by pushing the joystick forward towards the television screen. Give your starship three quick short bursts of thrust. Notice that your starship is now traveling in a forward motion toward the bottom of the play field. By turning the starship either clockwise or counterclockwise, turn the starship so it is facing away from the forward motion. Give the starship three short quick bursts of thrust. Your starship will slow almost to a stop. Push the game reset and try again. Practice this exercise until you can stop the starship completely. I ran out of patience before I managed to ever stop the starship completely. Exercise 3. Push the game reset button. Turn your starship so it is facing to your right and down, approximately 45 degrees. Give your starship continuous thrust until it is moving rapidly across the playfield. Alternate using horizontal thrust and vertical thrust to bring the starship to a near standstill in the middle of the playfield. After mastering the above exercises, you should be ex- an experienced starship captain, ready to do battle among the stars. Difficulty switches. The left and right difficulty switches must be in the B position during all space war games. In space shuttle games, slide the difficulty switches to A, and you, and you must exactly match your starship's velocity to the space shuttles to the space module's velocity. In B position, your starship does not have to travel at the same speed to dock with space module. Now you tell me. I must have daydreamed during that part of the manual because I've missed that part completely. I still don't think it would help. During space war games 1 through 7, you score one point when your opponent's starship explodes. A starship will explode when a direct hit is made by firing a missile. The starship collides with the space sun, games 4 and 5. The starship runs out of fuel while in hyperspace. Games 2 through 7. The starship tries to enter hyperspace hyperspace when out of fuel. The starship tries to enter hyperspace when out of fuel. Games 2 through 7. In 1 and 2 player shuttle games, 8 through 17, one point is scored each time the starship is successfully docked with the space module. You have 10 minutes to score a maximum of 10 points. And it's a long 10 minutes, let me tell you. Then Atari helpfully gave us a space glossary. Space combat and shuttle game playfields are characterized by different galaxy variations. The following descriptions will tell you what to expect when a game features any of these variations. Galaxy boundary. In some galaxies, your starship cannot penetrate the playfield boundaries and will instead bounce off the edges. Warp drive, which I'm pretty sure they stole from some other sci-fi thing. I don't know what it is. Move your starship off... One edge of the galaxy boundary, and it will go into warp drive and reappear on the opposite side. For example, move your starship off the right edge, and it will reappear on the left edge. So yeah, that's really all that means. You don't actually get to do anything cool with your warp drive. Oh well, moving on. This might be my favorite one here. Space Sun. Fight the pull of gravity from the sun in the center of the space galaxy. In some games, your starship will explode from exposure to the extreme heat and reset to the starting position. That's right, Atari was pushing forward the boundaries of science, teetering the line between science and fantasy by giving us, in this game, a space sun in a space galaxy. No Earth-bound suns and galaxies for Atari, no sir. They had the foresight, the raw guts, to postulate that there could be a sun and galaxies in space. Man. Let's just take a moment to soak that in. Alright, moving on. Hyperspace, which I think they also stole from a popular sci-fi property. Pull your joystick towards you. Your starship goes into hyperspace and becomes invisible. When in hyperspace, your starship uses more fuel. It is impossible to be hit by your opponent missiles or to collide with the space sun while in hyperspace. To make your starship drop out of hyperspace and reappear, pull the joystick toward you. Starbase. Make contact with the starbase at the center of the galaxy to refuel and resupply your missiles. Your missile and fuel gauges at the top of the playfield will reflect resupplies as your starship resets to the starting point. Space War Games. You and your opponent blast off into space. Each player controls one starship with a joystick controller. The object is to score points by shooting your opponent's starship with missiles fired by the red button on your joystick controller. In the nose of your starship, in the direction you want to fire, space war games last 10 minutes, or until one player scores 10 points. Players' score appear at the top of the playfield and are color-coordinated with the starships. The two lines to the right of your score refer to fuel and missile supply. The top line is the fuel gauge, the bottom line is the amount of missiles remaining. Each player begins with 8 missiles. Once the arsenal is depleted, the game will automatically reset each player with 8 more missiles, only when both players are out of missiles. In most war games... Fuel can, cannot be resupplied. In games 6 and 7, players can refuel and resupply missiles by docking with the starbase. Fuel is used by adding thrust to your starship or by putting your ship into hyperspace. As I said, the space war game uh, 1 through 7 are pretty much two-player game. 8, 9, 12, and 13 also are two-player games. There are slight variations between each. Game 14, 15, 16, 17 are one-player games. And those are the ones we were trying to dock with the space module. They aren't. You, you can't play space war against the computer in this one for some reason. And I found uh, the space shuttle games to be sort of tedious and frustrating. So couple that with you can't play the space war games by yourself, and this game loses lots of points, as in rating points. Space war strategy tips. After you master controlling your starship, you're ready to develop game strategy. The following tips should help you begin your competitive strategy for space shuttle and space war games. Space War Change your starship's position as soon as the game is in the start position. The initial location of the starship makes it easier for players to score a direct hit. I think in other words they're saying, don't just sit there. Keep close surveillance on your opponent's missile supply gauge. Plan your shots so that your opponent deletes his missile supply first, leaving no defense against your missiles. Note that missile supplies are automatically replenished only when both players have used all their missiles. Use this feature to your advantage when those three variables occur at once. Your opponent has no remaining missiles, you have remaining missiles, you are playing in a galaxy with a starbase. Leave your opponent without a chance for resupplying missiles by obtaining all of your missiles at a starbase before your supplies are completely depleted. Space Shuttle Tips The easiest way to match your starship speed with the space module speed is to first stop your ship which, as I've concluded, is pretty much impossible. You can slow it down, but it's pretty much impossible to stop it. Point it in the direction the module is traveling. Apply thrust until the starship and the space module are moving at the same speed. Then move the starship towards the space module. To efficiently make your starship contact the module, your starship must travel at the same speed as the space module. Your starship must travel in the same direction as the space module. Now point your ship at the module and apply thrust. So there you go. A short but dense... And kind of boring. Manual for Space War. Reading this manual kind of makes playing this game sound like enduring the first half of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which is basically just the crew standing around space dock ogling the new Enterprise's curves, coupled with that interminable scene of Writer manually reconnecting the saucer section in the first episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. In other words, I've been promised a Space War. It's right there on the front of the cartridge. Where are the enemy ships? Where's the interstellar space travel? The cool, you know, photon torpedoes? You know, we get the space, I guess. Where's the war part? I'm a little nervous, guys. I don't know if this game's going to go so well. We've had a couple of duds lately. We did brain games and Star Fox, for goodness sakes, and Sneak and Peek. I mean, come on. Aren't we due for a good game? (sighs) Let's see what Strategy Witchy said. Space War was one of the 11 Atari 2600 titles that were part of the second wave of games released in 1978. It's loosely based on Space War! Exclamation point. The famous 1962 computer game by Steve Russell. Space War is considered the first popular interactive video game and was developed in, at MIT. Two players compete against each other by piloting a spacecraft equipped with photon torpedoes. Well, there's the torpedoes. Let's play that game. The winner is the player who destroys the opponent more times. Strategy which gives a little summary of the game... In the early days of video games, teaching players how to understand momentum and inertia was a challenge. The game attempts to model idealized Newtonian physics, so once a ship is floating through space, nothing is going to slow it down unless the player applies some thrust in the opposite direction. Yes, but the important question is, is it true that in space, no one can hear you scream or, you know, fart? The speed of each player's missiles is also affected by the speed of the ship firing them. It was released according to strategy as space combat under the series telegames label they give a much more user-friendly colorful and well laid out manual than the one that i read and there you go our friend wikipedia tells us that space war was made available on microsoft's game room service for its xbox 360 console and for windows-based pcs on november 3rd 2010 wow even wikipedia didn't have a whole lot to say about this game that should tell you something but you know what We're not going to be daunted. We're going to be undaunted, as a matter of fact. So I think, after the break, we know Star Wars is popular. But why fight just one Star War when you could fight a war in all of space? Right, people? Am I right? Think bigly, people. really want to do this. Oh, come on, it'll be great. Please, just this one time. Oh, alright. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks. I'll buy you lunch. You better. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, it's Bill again, here for another field report. I have a special guest today. My twin brother Will is joining me because we're going to be playing a two-player game, and you need two players for that. So say hi, Will. Hi. Will is my twin brother. Your much younger, much better looking twin brother. Yes, yes, I know. But I am better at video games. Yes, and now you host an Atari podcast. Instead of going out with girls. So how's that working out for you? Um anyway, so here's the field report for Space War. We're playing one of the Space War games, as we know. From the first part of the show, Space War is broken down into Space War games for two players and Space Shuttle games for one player. The Space Shuttle games I could have done myself without my dear brother, Will, but frankly there wasn't a whole lot of audio to listen to and it just wasn't that compelling uh, for a podcast. So I dragged Will in here, and boy am I happy about it. Look, I told you I was gonna buy you lunch. At the Good Hamburger place? Yes, at the Good Hamburger place. We'll talk about it later. All right, let's get started. I'm... Hey, I just shot myself. I'm Mr. Pink. Will, you're up. How come when you shot yourself, it didn't do anything to you? I don't know. I'm just lucky, I guess. I'll bet on the recording, we sound exactly alike, Will. I think you're probably right, Bill. But you could tell us apart if we're in the same room, because, like I said, I will look much taller and much more handsome, and a lot younger. So basically, this is just asteroids without the asteroids. Uh, it's the exact same ship. It moves the same. It shoots the same. Except you're shooting each other. It makes me a little bit sad that when you get blown up, you don't see the ship trying to go to smithereens like in asteroids. I'm also kinda of bummed you can't do midair collisions. Cause I keep running into will. I know. Stop it. And it doesn't do anything. I just The other frustrating thing is, without realizing, you can run out of fuel temporarily and you can't fire anymore. You're just kinda of floating in space. You can still move your ship. I did all the little exercises that the manual says to do to learn how to fly your ship. It didn't make any difference. Take that, Bill. Shut up, Will. That's why I never liked to play with you as a kid. You'd like to play with me because I was the only one who would play with you. Oh, yeah. A question? Yes, Will? Is it possible that I don't really exist, I'm just a figment of your imagination, an extension of the concept of an imaginary friend that many children have, but you have extended into adulthood to the extent of creating a whole persona that is just you with a different name? Uh I guess that's possible. Then explain to me, dear fake brother, how am I kicking your ass? I don't want to play this game anymore, well. Yeah, just like when we were kids. Alright, back to you in the studio. Okay, I think I figured out what Space War is. Space War is like what you'd get if an asteroid's cartridge crawled out of its Coca-Cola crate where you keep it with all the other games and snuck over into the crate with the Star Raiders cartridge in it and made a little baby game cartridge. Consider that possibility as you ponder whether to become a collector or not. If you go into your game room right now and listen carefully, you can probably hear... Well, never mind. So, Space War seems to be a game heavy on the space part, but light on the war part. It's like if, when they decided to make Star Trek, they threw out all the Klingons, the Romulans, the grumpy, sentient computers, and the triple-breasted green women, and decided to focus instead on what the helmsmen were doing. If that were the case, Star Trek would probably be called Space War, or some other generic sci-fi name, and probably look more like this. dun 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 Helmsman's Log. Sulu is on the bridge. Yes, sir, right here, down in front, close to the screen. It's weird, because when I sit up front at the movies, I get a little nauseous. But here on the bridge, I almost never vomit. I still keep a little bucket down on the floor near me, though. No one can see it. I'm very clever. Well, time to start another shift. Not much ever happens. Not for the helmsman, anyway. It's a pretty normal day. Or maybe a normal night. I'm not really sure. Space is dark either way. Pretty soon, though, the captain says to change direction because we have to go fight some bad guys. I don't know who they are. They might be Klingons. Let's just say they're Klingons. Whatever. Spock is over there in the back, yammering on about what the Klingons could be up to and the properties of some weird new weapon, yada yada yada. They talk a lot. Spock and the captain and those guys whose names appear first in the titles. They also get to go on the away missions, and not get knocked out, or frozen, or possessed when they do. And not even Scotty has been turned into one of the pus turtles of Kleptarn 4, unlike certain helmsmen that will remain nameless. I'm still using the ointment to get over that one. We arrive at the coordinates I was given, and Spock and the captain get ready to beam down to the big purple planet that probably has a name, but I don't know what it is, because all I get are the coordinates. As if I don't actually have any interest in people or knowing where I am, for goodness sakes. The captain, Spock, and McCoy beam down to the planet and check on the colonists. But then, oh no, it's a red alert. The Klingons. See, I know it was Klingons. The captain is off the bridge, so maybe this is my chance to be acting captain. But no. They drag Scotty up for engineering for crying out loud. Bastard. Sky starts shouting a bunch of stuff at the view screen that is probably important, only I can't hear it because of that stupid siren. My buddy Chekhov starts flipping some switches and tapping some keys, so I do that too. I slide the little speed thingy, and the ship thrusts forward. Acting Captain Scotty seems to like that. Chekhov starts firing phasers, and I'm still not sure who we're shooting at because of all the sirens, but it seems to be working, and I'm still just assuming they're Klingons. And now I know things are winding down because the action is falling after that big climatic battle we just had. The Klingons, or whatever, turn tail and run. I hope Scotty will tell us to chase him, because I'm bored. But he doesn't. Gutless turd. The captain and the others beam back up. The captain has ripped his shirt, which happens a lot. I'm pretty sure he does it to himself when no one's looking. One time, I spilled some coffee on my sleeve and I got a reprimand in my file. And now it's coming to the end of the adventure, I can tell, because the captain and McCoy and Scotty are standing around the captain's chair, engaging in some witty repartee. Everyone on the bridge laughs at it as if it's hilarious. It's not. Not at all. No, it is funny. This damn ship isn't going anywhere unless I plug in the coordinates. Kiss my ass, Starfleet. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin MacLeod and Compatech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can email Atari Bytes at Bytes 2016 at gmail.com. Show notes, other episodes, and other links are found at com. Find the show on Stitcher, Google Play Music, iTunes, and many other podcatchers, including iHeartRadio. When the option is offered, particularly at iTunes, do please leave a review. Don't worry about a war of words on iTunes. There's plenty of space for your words. See what I did there? little space war tie-in. See, I deserve a review. You can like the show on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at AtariBytes. A-T-A-R-I-B-Y-T-E-S which I hope you know because you found the podcast. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also please consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon page and by shopping at our Zazzle.com store. If you plug in Bytes stuff or it's a podcast Charlie Brown stuff you'll probably find the store but the store is actually called capital A, capital B, underscore pod, underscore store. Also check out my other podcast, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. A new episode drops on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, we're jumping into the future again, guys. We're going to play us some Robotron 2084 for the 7800. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. I'm sorry.